said, uh, you know, these are, if you want a long and happy life, these are the things you don't say to your wife. Well, we'll talk about marriage, and I just have to tell you up front, anything I say this morning um, can only go so far for, for most of you um, women out there, because I found this sticker yesterday at a German delicatessen store, and it says, happiness is being married to a German. <laughs> so this will go on my bumper today. Um, <laughs> Actually, it's going on my wife's bumper on the car. And uh, so for the rest of you besides my wife, let's just take everything that I say for as good as you can. Um, hope it works for you. So the Series 7, before we get into marriage, I want to tell you quickly about the Series 7. Um, was already mentioned a little bit earlier, seven weeks that we're going to talk about seven topics that we believe um, really address most of the important aspects of our life. In the Bible, the number seven is the number for completion and perfection. And so for the next seven weeks, we're going to talk about um, issues that, that make your complete life. That's why today the, the topic of marriage is called completely united. So over the next seven weeks, we're going to address real practical life issues and, and look at what the Bible has to say about them. And today we'll, we'll talk about marriage. And much has been said, much has been written about marriage. Lots of jokes have been told and songs sung. And it's pretty obvious that there's quite stark differences between men and women. Otherwise, we wouldn't have these jokes, right? We wouldn't have these songs. And things would maybe be a lot smoother, but also less humorous. And some people actually have come to the conclusion that the differences are so stark that we must be from different planets, Right? Women are from Venus, men are from Mars, women are from Venus, right, that kind of thing. In German, we have the saying, different countries, different customs. And when we look at how men and women work and function, it's sometimes natural to think, man, different planets, <laughs> different customs, because we do and approach things in such a different way. Sometimes we do things that the other one just cannot comprehend. Ever been there? We had a moment like that on our honeymoon night, on our wedding night, actually. So the wedding was over. We, uh, we got to the hotel, really nice hotel that my family paid for for us. And um, Sandrine went into the bathroom. I'm sharing a real intimate moment here. <laughs> and I had been looking forward to getting to the hotel room all day because there was a boxing match on TV that night. So um, while she was in the bathroom, I grabbed the remote and uh, turned to the sports channel. Needless to say, that night didn't end up in the way that either of us had imagined. Um, she couldn't quite comprehend um, my thoughts and me, her reaction. But in the meantime, I've, I've kind of put it into perspective. I get it. It was not the right thing to do. <laughs> but sometimes, you know, sometimes even, even words we say mean one thing to us men and complete other to the woman. And I, I have a list of these here. This is mainly for you men to help understand things your wife says to you. All right? When she says, we need, what she really means is, I want. All right? If she says, it's your decision, honey, it means the decision should be obvious <laughs> by now. Um, when she says, do what you want, it really means you'll pay for it later. <laughs> we need to talk. Guys, we all know that one, honey. We need to talk, right? really means... I need to complain about something. When she says, sure, go ahead, it means, I don't want you to. Don't do it. It's a dare. When she says, I'm not upset, it means, of course I'm upset, you moron. Come on. Think about it. I love this one. When she says, you're so manly, you know what that means, guys? It means you need to shave and you sweat a lot. All right? The question, do you love me, it means I'm going to ask for something expensive. The question, how much do you love me, means... She did something you're not going to like. When she says, I just need a minute to get ready, it means grab the control and find a good game because it's going to be a while, right? And when she, when she asks, are you listening to me? Oh boy, it's too late, you're dead. <laughs> yes usually means no. No most of the time means no, but maybe always means no. Just remember that. And I'm sorry means you'll be sorry. And uh, do you like this recipe means... It's easy to fix, so you better get used to it, all right? So that's just a little, little intro. Um, 
It's the little intro for you guys. And so there's, there's a lot of humor in this. But there's also a lot of really deep importance in marriage. In, in the Bible, marriage is an incredibly important topic. And really, marriages affect all of us. Even those that, that aren't married are affected by marriages around them. Either you have grown up in a home where you have observed a marriage and have been shaped by a marriage that could have been good, it could have been a failed marriage, but we've all observed marriages or, or their failure. Maybe you have been married in the past and you carry that baggage with you and, and those experiences. And then maybe you aren't married yet and never have been, but you're hoping to. Maybe, maybe you're preparing to get married. And so I'm hoping that us talking about marriage from the Bible and what the Bible says about what it means to be a wife and what it means to be a husband really has something to say to all of us, whether you are married or not. So marriage is important. It's important in the Bible. It's important to God because it was his idea. Sometimes if you are married and you think, God, what was he thinking <laughs> or what were you thinking? But it is and it was God's idea for us. And he has clear ideas of how it should work. And marriage was his idea and his purpose from the very beginning of creation. Very early on in Genesis 2 verse 24, right after we read about God's creation of Adam and Eve and, and so on, he says in Genesis 2.24, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife, and they will become one flesh. A man will leave his father and mother, he will be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. From the beginning, from the very beginning, marriage was always meant to be for one man and one woman. And it was always meant to last for a lifetime. Marriage is extremely important to God because it was his idea and because marriage is supposed to reflect God's character to the people around us. It's extremely important. But as we look in our culture, we see that, that today, really, more marriages fail than succeed. And you know what? That percentage of failed marriages is the same inside of the church today as it is outside of the church. Far more marriages fail than ever before. And I think it's a fact that we don't actually expect marriages to succeed anymore. The question often isn't anymore, how, how happy is your marriage? How, how, how well are you making this work? And how are you progressing? Oftentimes the question is, how long is it going to last? When my wife and I got married, um, in Germany you have to get married by the state. The, the church can't marry you. It doesn't have the authority. It's, you, you always have to go to the town hall first where an official or the mayor marries you. And then you go to the church for a symbolic service. And so we, we got married in the town hall. And, and so the mayor gave a little speech, and he actually said to us on our wedding day, he said, I hope you can make this last as long as possible. I was like, wow, thanks. That's encouraging. <laughs> That's what he said. We don't really expect marriages to last anymore. So today we want to have a look at what the Bible, what God has to say about marriage, and specifically what he has to say about being a husband and being a wife. And and I'm convinced, I'm convinced that, that any failed marriage and any dysfunctional marriage, and, and let me just include my marriage. My marriage is dysfunctional on days. It is. What? Was that my wife? <laughs> it is. But I will tell you this. Whenever I see a failed marriage or dysfunctional marriage, including mine, it is always the result of either one or both partners not putting into practice what the Bible has to say about being a husband and being a wife without fail. And I don't say that to, to point fingers and judge because I fail all the time. And I want you to know if, if there has been a failed marriage in your past, if there is failure and dysfunction, there is always grace there is always forgiveness and there's always a fresh start with God. So I just want to, want to make that very clear to all of you. So 
part of, of this, uh, this thought process um, that I went through in preparing for today is why, why do we get married? Why do we have this urge for, for a partner, a life partner? And what do we look for in that partner? And if you look at our culture today, at songs and movies and books and, and soap operas, which I don't, um, what you always find is we're looking for somebody to make us happy, right? We're looking for somebody to make us happy, someone to, to fulfill us. And often we hear this term, I'm, somebody to complete me. Who saw Jerry Maguire with um, Tom Cruise and what's her name? Yes, Renee Zellweger, exactly. There's this scene where they're in an elevator, and, you know, the romance is sparking. They're in an elevator, and there's a couple that's speaking in sign language. And they say something, and then they make out in the elevator. It's very uncomfortable for Tom and, and Renee. But she understands sign language, and she tells him she, that, that he said to her, you complete me. And then later on, when their romance is kind of on the rocks and he goes after her and pursues her, he gives this passionate speech to her in front of all her girlfriends. And he says to her, you complete me. And she just melts away and they were happy, I don't know for how long. <laughs> so often that's what we look for. We look for somebody to complete us. And as romantic and good as that sounds... What incredible pressure to put on another person. Basically, what you're saying is, by you completing me, is I completely depend on you for my happiness, for my fulfillment. And that is not what God intended for marriage. Because what we're doing by doing that is, we're looking for another person to fill a need that only God can and wants to meet in us. To look for your fulfillment and, completely, and completeness from another person is, is really dangerous because you become dependent. And, and you put expectations on that person that that person cannot fulfill. And really, at the core of that is great selfishness because what that says is, I need from you, I need from you, I need from you. And then the question comes, what if you are single and you stay single? Does that mean you, you can't be complete? Does it mean you have to have a life partner to be complete as a person? No, that's not what the Bible tells us. I want to take you to Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. It says something about our completeness and our fulfillment. It says, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. You have been given fullness in Christ. That word fullness elsewhere is often translated and could very well be translated as, as completeness. You have been made complete in Christ. So whether you're single or married or in a relationship, your completeness won't and can't come from another person. Now, there, there is the aspect in a relationship of, of complementing each other. And, and I would say my wife and I really complement each other in a lot of areas. She has strengths where I don't, and, and some of those go vice versa. But th there is a, a complementing, but to find completeness can only happen in a relationship with Jesus Christ and in the decision to follow him. And finding that gives you fullness and completion and fulfillment. And it frees you then up to be the partner that God wants you to be in the relationship that he has you in. If we're fulfilled in Jesus, we're complete in him. And we don't have to have these unrealistic expectations of a partner because Jesus fills those expectations and completes us. And it will set us free to then love and give rather than to expect and take. So the first principle for, for marriage, and really not only for marriage but also for singleness, is don't look to a partner to fulfill a need that only Jesus can and will fulfill. And that is your completeness in him. So I want to have a look at, with you now at a passage in Ephesians 
that spe- specifically addresses marriage issues. It addresses the responsibility of the wife. It, it addresses the responsibility of the husband. But historically, this passage has often been used to just focus on the wife's responsibility. I believe it has often been misinterpreted. I think it has been misread out of cultural baggage that we have, maybe experiential baggage that we have. And I just want to tell you, when I read this now, some of you, especially some of you women, are going to have the urge of just slipping to the edge of your seat, <laughs> grabbing the seat white-knuckled and maybe run out of here. And I just want to ask you to please, <laughs> please refrain from that and, and just bear with me. And allow me to share some light on this passage um, from a little bit different perspective than maybe you have heard. So let's read together Ephesians 5, verses, verses 22 to 33. It says, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Stay. <laughs> Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself. And the wife must respect her husband. The first problem that we often have with this passage is that we start in verse 22, which I just did. This passage starts in verse 21, but because, because leadership in the church has historically been male, We've conveniently often left out verse 21 and focused entirely on 22 through 24 and on the wife's submission to the husband as the head in in everything. And unfortunately, in our English Bibles, the way that, that the Bible is divided in verses and chapters, and by the way, the Bible wasn't written with verses and chapters. Did you know that? It was just written. The verses and chapters were added later for easier managing of the Scripture and, and finding references. And in this incident, it was really unfortunate that the paragraph was made starting with verse 22. Because verse 21, which I haven't read yet, but will in a second, really sets up this whole passage that we just read. And we can't understand this passage properly if we don't include verse 21 in this. And verse 21 says this, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another addressing both the husband and the wife. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And the word reverence here could also be translated as reverence or or, or respect and submission. Because what he's saying is here, both husband and wife, you need to submit to each other. Why? Because first of all, you submit to Jesus individually. What he's talking about here is that there is equality in marriage. There's spiritual equality. Galatians 3.28 tells us there's spiritually, there's no more Jew or Gentile. There's no difference. You can both come to Christ. There's no more slave or free. There's no more male or female. We are spiritually equal in the eyes of God. And we equally need to submit to Jesus So that out of that submission and love for Jesus, we can then submit to each other. We're equal, but we do have different roles and responsibilities. And that's really what this passage, verses 22 through 33, is about. He prefaces it in verse 21. You are both to submit to each other. Now, it looks a little different 
the submission will look a little different for the wife than it does for the husband. And that's what this passage then continues to talk about. And it is what I want to talk about here this morning. So again, first of all, we need to understand that this is primarily a question of submission to Jesus before it becomes a question of submitting to each other as partners. And this principle, by the way, of, of submitting to Jesus and therefore submitting to others isn't unique to marriage. It's a universal spiritual uh, dynamic that we're called to as followers of Jesus. Philippians 2.4 says, Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. That's nothing else but submission to the needs of people around you. We just talked about love in this last series, and the last message was on love your neighbor as yourself. It's the same principle of submitting your own need to the needs of others. And, and this word submit here literally was a military term that meant you, you place yourself in rank below the other. That counts for the wife, that counts for the husband, that counts for the follower of Jesus, whether married or single. We're called to submit to one another. But without this reverence for Christ that, that verse 21 talks about, without this submission to Jesus, we do not have what it takes to do that. I cannot live a life and, and live a, li a marriage where I continuously seek to surrender to the needs of my wife if I haven't surrendered <clears throat> excuse me, to Jesus first. I don't have the strength that it takes, but Jesus does. And that's why Galatians 2, 9 and 10 is so important that we know that if we have surrendered to Jesus, in Him we have the fullness of Him, the strength and the power to live that kind of life of submission and to become the husband that I need to be and for you wives to become the wives that God wants you to be. So again, both partners are to submit to one another. So in these next verses, in 22 th uh, through, through um, 33, Paul explains now what this submission looks like for each of the partners. And what's really interesting to me is he addresses the wife for two, maybe three verses if we're generous. But historically, we focus solely on those few verses when he spends at least three, time, uh, three times as much time here on the role of the husband, which tells me even back then, the men were a little harder to get things. <laughs> Does that make sense? We were a little slow to understand. And so today, I want to start with the role of the husband because there's more verses allotted to it and because Paul addresses the husband here as the head of the wife, as, as the leader in the family, as the leader in the marriage. And so I would like to start with him. He's called to be the head of the wife, just as Christ is the head of the church. And I think just as we historically and culturally have misunderstood what submission means for a wife, I think we also have greatly misunderstood what it means to be a head of something, what it means to lead. And I think out of selfishness, often we men misinterpret what, what it means to be a leader, to be a leader in the family or outside of the family. But we're compared here to, to Jesus as the head of the church. Our role in the, in the family, in the marriage, is, is compared to Jesus' role as the leader and the head of his church. But for us, see, for us, leadership often means telling others what to do and expecting obedience without being challenged, preferably. Um, it has to do with hierarchy, doesn't it? When you think about leading, Oftentimes our minds immediately go to hierarchy, to, to position, to value and importance. When we think about leading, we, we think about the higher I go, the more others do for me. When we think about leading, we, we think about exercising authority over others. And husbands, if, if that is your picture of being a leader, then I want to challenge you to take your Bible and read the Gospels. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and observe Jesus as a leader. And I will guarantee you, you will not find this kind of leader that I just talked about. 
You will not find a leader that bosses people around, who, who just exercises authority and demands obedience, who, who, who expects others to serve him. You will not find that. Jesus is the one that the Bible says about that one day every knee will bow to. He's the one who has all authority on heaven and on earth. And yet he humbled himself. And it says he, he made himself nothing for you and for me. Does that sound like a leader? Does that sound weak? It isn't. It's the greatest manifestation of strength. Was he a leader? I tell you, there hasn't been another human being that has changed the course of all history the way Jesus has. So how did he lead? What does it mean to be a head leader the way he has, he was? So I want to read again these verses that described us here in, in Ephesians verses 20, uh, chapter 5, verses 25 through 28. It says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. So what does that tell us about Christ-like leadership? What does this tell us about being the head the way Jesus is the head of the church? The first thing I read here is self-sacrifice. It says Jesus gave himself up for the church, for you and for me. Self-sacrifice, you know what this is talking about? It's talking about the cross. It's talking about Jesus being willing to lay down his life for every single one of you. That's the kind of self-sacrifice God calls you as husbands and those of you who, who will be husbands. That's what he calls you to, that kind of leadership that's willing to lay down our life. Now, heroically, all of us would probably think, well, if, you know, if it came down to it, I would give my life for my wife. And I would like to think so. But then what about the little things? What about giving up in the little things? What about laying down our life when it comes to as mundane things as taking out the trash and doing dishes and spending some quality time that she's craving with you? That doesn't sound so heroic anymore, does it? But that's where the rubber hits the road of, of sacrificing out of love and out of leadership. Another thing I read in here and I see in Jesus' life is, is serving. So often, again, we think with hierarchy, with, with leading comes, well, others do things for me. Well, Jesus himself said, I did not come to be served, but to serve. The Son of God, who has all authority in heaven and on earth, came to serve. There is this incredible story in, in the Gospel of John. It's the last evening that he has with his disciples. And, and the disciples have prepared a meal, the, the biggest feast in the Jewish uh, year. It's the, the, the Passover, kind of like maybe like our, our Thanksgiving, a huge spread, and they were going to eat together. Well, in that culture, it was an absolute must that somebody washed everybody's feet because they didn't have paved roads. It was dirty. They were wearing sandals. You, you don't come into a household with dirty feet. Somebody had to wash the feet. And in every household, that was the, the role. The, whoever did this was the person with the lowest social status. The lowest of the servants would perform that task. Well, guess what? All the disciples, all 12, just strutted in. Actually, on their way to the meal, they talked about which of them is the greatest. And they go in and they sit down, knowing full well that somebody had to do it. And nobody did. And then Jesus, who was going to give their life for them within hours, took off his, his garment and put on an apron that visually showed them that he took on that role of the lowest servant among them and washed their feet. That's sacrificial love. That's leadership. Leadership, biblically, always means serving, not being served. 
You're willing to do that, husbands? If you say you're a follower of Jesus, that's what God expects from you. And I know that's tough. It's tough for me. I know it's tough for you. Another thing I read in here, in, these pass- in this passage 25 through 28, that Jesus' number one interest with his church is his church's well-being. His number one interest is the church's well-being. To make her holy, verse 26, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. And let me just say the blemishes and wrinkles don't refer to plastic surgery when we transfer this to our marriage relationships, all right? But it talks about that Jesus' number one interest was the well-being, the spiritual well-being of his church. Husbands, as godly husbands, your number one interest should be your wife's spiritual well-being. You are the leader in your home. That means sacrificially loving your wife. It means serving and it means caring spiritually. He also talks about providing and caring, and that's part of our male DNA, isn't it? We, we want to be providers. We want to care and protect. And that is also part of our role and our responsibility. So self-sacrifice, serving, the well-being of your bride being your number one goal and interest, her spiritual well-being most of all, provision, care. And then in verse 31, after he goes through these characteristics he says for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh he's quoting genesis 2:24 but he's just gone through these through these roles of self-sacrifice and serving and spiritual leading and caring and then he says these are the reasons that a man marries a woman so that he can fulfill this role in her life and in the, in the family. I found a great quote by the pastor and author John Piper in this context. He said, don't marry so you can stop pursuing women. Marry so that you can perfect the pursuit of one woman for a lifetime. Don't marry so you need to quit looking. <laughs> marry so that you can pursue this one woman for the rest of your life. Pursue her through self-sacrifice, through serving, through leading spiritually, through caring and providing. And isn't it interesting how these things come so naturally in our courting phase? (laughs) And how so naturally they slip away once we've got her secured? That's wrong thinking. Marriage is, is our husband's, our lifetime pursuit of our bride. And that is what these verses tell us about Jesus and the church. He pursues us for the rest of our lives to make us more holy and presentable for the day that we'll see him face to face. We are called his bride as the church. As you lead your wife spiritually, or are you leading your wife spiritually? I find that that's probably the number one shortfall that we fall into as husbands. Is do we really take spiritual responsibility for our families, for our wives? It is our responsibility and we need to assume it. But again, that can only happen if we individually are submitted to Jesus and are pursuing our spiritual growth. Because only out of that relationship with Jesus and the overflow of our, flow, our, our relationship and our growth with him can we help lead our wives. And I'll tell you one thing. A godly woman will find a spiritual husband irresistible. We often think being spiritual as a husband is, is kind of a sign of weakness. But a godly woman will find a spiritual husband incredibly attractive 
So Christ-like leadership is what we're called to as husbands. And then we're called to Christ-like love of our wives. In, in the last verse, he says, you must love your wife. He must love his wife. We must. It's not, a, it's not an option. It's a must. You have to love your wife. And I want to take you quickly to Colossians 3, where we find just a great description of, of what Christ-like love looks like. It's Colossians 3, verses 12 through 14. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. That love binds them all together means these are all included in love. These are all aspects and characteristics of the love that we as husbands are to show to our wives. Again, this is a universal principle. This, this is for all of us. But obviously, it gets a lot more nitty and gritty and intense in our marriages, doesn't it? So again, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, and forgiveness. Often, I find myself as a husband harsh, proud, impatient. It's just, just the way it often is, isn't it, guys? But when does your wife really feel loved by you? Do you know when that is? It's usually when she's being served out of love, when, when we show compassion and kindness and gentleness, consideration, because you know what that communicates to her? Value. I value you. I have found that the time of attention, of undistracted attention, quality time, is the number one thing that communicates all these others. And you know, guys, I want to say this. I know that none of this comes easy. I know that. It doesn't come natural. But what good thing does? What good thing does? And again, don't rely on your own strength and determination in this. Surrender to Jesus and allow Him to work this in your heart because he wants, he wants you to be the husband that is described here in Ephesians 3. He wants to give you the strength that you need to be this kind of husband. The second principle for marriage is husbands submit to Jesus and out of that submit to your wives by being a Christ-like leader who sacrifices, who serves, who provides, who cares, who loves, and who leads spiritually. And I guarantee you this, if we do, you will set your wife free to be the wife that God wants her to be for you. Dave Nelson gave me a great quote this week. He said, women are motivated when they're feeling loved, adored, and cherished. Men are motivated when they feel a woman. Did you catch that? Oh, okay. So let's, let's transition. Let's transition to the women. I thought we needed a light moment here at this point. <laughs> Worked with delay. Thank you. Let's, let's transition to, to the role of the women. We talked about how the husband is supposed to submit. Let's talk about the wife. Let's go back to Ephesians chapter 3. And I want to read verses 22 to 24 and then 33. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. However, verse 33, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. You know, be, before we get into this, this week um, on Facebook, while I was preparing for this message, I, I put a Facebook status out there saying, wives, tell me, how do you feel about this passage in Ephesians, about submitting to your husband as the church submits to, 
to, uh, to Christ? And how do you feel about that? And I'll tell you, in history, it's the most responded status update ever, <laughs> at least in my Facebook history. I've, I had 20 to 30, and I was close to 30 responses. And I'll tell you, they were deep and long, a lot of them from you here. And by the way, by putting it there, you gave me full permission to quote you here. Um, <laughs> tons and tons of responses from women. And the main thrust was, Man, if, if a husband can be that kind of husband, I would love to submit to that. So then, about halfway through the day, I posted another status update. And I said, all right, husbands, now you tell me, how do you practically love your wife as Christ loves the church? What does that look like for you? That night? Zero. Zero updates or responses to that status. And then some of the women trickled in and said, Oh, I guess they're still busy working. You know, or, and let me just tell you, women, work has not kept any husbands from updating or responding to a Facebook status. <laughs> there was zero response, which was really interesting to me. Really interesting to me. To me, it reflects a lack of us as husbands thinking this through. So I hope that... that that can change starting this morning a little bit. So back to the ladies. As the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands. You know, first of all, I want to I clarify what this submission is not. Because it's been so abused and misinterpreted over the years. What this submission to the husband is not is, yes, dear, whatever you say, dear. Because you know what? That will lead to resentment. That's not what this submission is about. It's not about obedience. It's not about being dependent on your husband spiritually. And it's not about catering to his every wish and need. Okay, no elbows, please. But this is not what this submission is talking about. This submission is, is identified and, and clarified in verse 33. Really, both submissions, the husbands and the wives, are clarified in verse 33. The husband is to love his wife as himself, and the wife must respect her husband. What this submission of the wife to the husband is mostly about is respect. I find it really interesting that in this word, verse, the, the husband is called to love his wife, and the wife isn't told, love your husband. She's taught to respect her husband. Isn't that interesting? I really feel and believe that through God's design and creation, the woman's deepest need is to be loved, to be pursued and adored and cherished and served and loved in that. I believe man's number one need is to know that we're respected. It's part of God's design. And ladies, I'm going to let you in on a secret here. Men, sorry, I'm going to, I'm going to have to let this out. This, I first read this in a, in a book um, called... Uh, John, oh, man, I forgot the book name now. Anyway, man's deepest fear, ladies, our deepest fear is to be found out. Do you know that? A man's deepest fear is to be found out. Our deepest fear is, is that people will confirm the insecurity that we're feeling inside. Our deepest fear is that our insecurity reflects reality and that we're not good enough. And our deepest fear is for our wives to confirm that. We act so strong, beside each one of us is this deep fear of not measuring up, of not being the one that we need to be, of, of being inferior and not good enough. And what a husband needs more than anything from his wife is to be a cheerleader. I don't know if you were here for the marriage conference last year when it was the Rock Your Marriage. 
and Dave Wilson and talked about that we need our wives to tell us that we're the man. We need cheerleaders. My wife and I had, had a conversation about that back then. And, and for a while, she, she would just once in a while, just on the phone, just said, Christian, you're the man. And I was like, yeah, really? <laughs> yes, Christian, you're the man. Now, she hasn't done that enough lately. Honey, you're here? Huh? Still the man? We, we need to hear this from you. We do need to hear this from you. I know that it's tough. I know that it's tough to do for you women because so often we don't act like that man, do we? We act like little boys a lot of the time and it makes it difficult. Do you know respect also means trust? That we, we need to know we have your trust. And I know that's super, super difficult if that trust has been broken and betrayed. And I know There's times where that needs to be restored. And that's our responsibility as husbands and as, as wives where that's been destroyed, where it needs to be rebuilt. And I know this is hard for you women to respect a husband who maybe hasn't acted like the husband described here in Ephesians 3. But I will also tell you it is equally hard for the husband to sacrificially love and serve a wife that treats him like a son. Even though we act like one, we can't be treated like one. And see, this, this sets this cycle in motion where we act like kids, so we're treated like one, which makes it extremely difficult to, to be the loving and sacrificing husband that we need to be, which makes it impossible for you to respect us. And that's the cycle that we slip into so quickly, and it can make marriage hell on earth. But I will tell you this. If you have partners who are both willing to submit to Jesus, who are both willing out of that submission to him to submit to one another, break this cycle and become the spouses that God wants for us to become, the experience of marriage can also be a taste of heaven on this earth. Because it's God's design. And our marriage isn't perfect. We've been married for 14 years now. And I will tell you, I was the biggest knucklehead and, and selfish. <laughs> It's just, it just boggles my mind to think back to the first few years of our marriage. And, and this takes time, guys. This takes time for all of us to develop and, and grow into these roles and allow Jesus to develop these characteristics in us. But marriage can be so incredibly awesome if we're willing to put this into practice. And there's an interesting dynamic, ladies, that if you start giving your husband a little bit of credit, of respect and trust, even though maybe you don't feel like it yet, it's really interesting. Men will often live up or down to expectations. You, you treat us like a child, well, God, doggone it, we're going to act like a child and, and just confirm that. But, but being given some trust and respect puts this challenge out there. Man, I want to live up to this. It's part of our, our manly competition, I suppose. And so really what it comes down to is we need to break the cycle. The third principle for marriage is wives, you need to submit to your husband by respecting him. You'll be surprised. You will be surprised by the changes that you will see in him when you start putting that respect and trust in him. So the big challenge now really is how do we break this cycle? Now I often use this quote when I, when I do marriages or weddings. So it says, when a man marries, he hopes his bride always stays the same, but she changes. When a woman marries, she hopes her groom will change, but he always stays the same. See, the result of that often is that we both have the tendency to want to fix that in marriage, to fix the changes that take place in the wife and for the wife to fix what she thinks needs to be changed in the husband. But when I look at this passage about the roles, it doesn't say, husbands, 
please make sure that your wife respects you. And it doesn't say, wives, you make sure that your husband loves you properly. It says, husbands, you love your wife the way Jesus loves the church. And it says, you, wife, submit to your husband. It focuses on our role. And it calls us, it calls me to focus on my role as a husband. It, it calls me to pursue Jesus, to have him make me the husband that he wants me to be. It calls my wife for her to pursue Jesus, to allow him to make her the wife that she needs to be. Marriage isn't there for us to fix each other. This passage calls each of us to focus on us. Focus, helps us to focus on our submission to Jesus and out of that submission to Jesus on our submission to each other. So as the band comes up, I want to share one last thought with you. As, as I've prepared for this, this word submitting to one another, submission has such a Oh, it's, it's such a heavy word, isn't it? Based on our experiences and, and, and connotations in our culture of submission, um, it's, it's, it's just a really tough, tough word. And so I, I was trying to come up with a, a concept that maybe is easier for us to understand than this word submission. And Dave Nelson said something to me that really hit home with this. He said, God loves your spouse. All right? If you're married... God loves your spouse. Submitting means allowing God to love your, love your spouse through you. Does that make sense? For me to submit means asking God, how do you want to love Sandrine today? Through me. God, how do you want to use me as her husband to be your agent of love to her today. And for my wife, it means asking God, how do you want to love my husband today through me? And so I want to encourage you to make that really your daily prayer when it comes to your marriage. Because what this prayer does is focuses you on your responsibility. It focuses you on your submission to God as you submit and love your spouse. God, how do you want to love my spouse today through me? Can we do that? Let's make that our daily pursuit.